Please, just tell me, what's this all about? She gestured ahead of us. We were in Hawking Hangar, but not the Hawking I knew. This one looked really rough, primitive even. For a start, the lighting was terrible. Eye-wateringly bright in some areas, but dangerously dim in others. A bit like our technical section, actually. The central area was taken up with long metal benches, smothered in tools, cables and equipment. The floor and walls were of rough concrete, and the whole place echoed like a cathedral. Huge, rubber-sheathed cables trailed across the floor, not tidily bundled against the walls as they should be, but snaking around the place in giant loops, seeking to trip the unwary. Busy techies were moving around us, obviously completely unaware of our presence. Nobody actually walked through us, though, which was a shame, because I would have liked to see how my dream coped with that. Pods stood on plinths, ready to jump back to their allocated time, but instead of each plinth having its own set of controls built in, techies were trundling around a giant contraption of flashing lights, dials, levers, readouts and electronic beeping. Huge umbilicals sprouted from every orifice. They heaved it to plinth four, it took three of them, and started plugging things in. They all wore thick insulating gloves. They even wore protective goggles. For an organisation that tends to regard health and safety in the workplace as something that happens to someone else, this was a little worrying. It all looked very Heath Robinson to me, as if something new was being born and everyone was making it up as they went along. A crisis would occur and someone would bolt on another piece of equipment, which would do until the next time something else went horribly wrong and they had to come up with another solution. Looking at the faces around, I hardly recognised anyone until Dieter drifted past, wearing a stained orange jumpsuit and looking as if he'd just escaped from college, which actually turned out to be the case. He was pounding his scratch pad and calling the results to someone inside number four. A disembodied but familiar voice replied, and two seconds later, a very young-looking Leon Farrell stuck his head out of the door, requesting clarification. Yes, this was Hawking, but not as I knew it. I looked around for a convenient calendar. Given the technical and mechanical nature of the place, the picture on the wall should be of some semi-naked nymph sprawled elegantly across a high-end sports car, while a significant portion of her anatomy defied gravity. Since this was St Mary's, a fluffy kitten and a fluffy duckling sat side by side above a date showing Christmas Eve. Ten years ago. Oh no... I said to Mrs. Partridge, No, 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 I am not doing the ghost of Christmas past thing. She sighed. This is not about you, Dr. Maxwell. Please concentrate. You promise? Please observe closely. Three figures approached number four. Two I didn't know at all, but I certainly recognised the third one, Major Ian Guthrie, head of our security section. Beside me... Mrs. Partridge said, May I introduce two of St. Mary's senior historians, Mr. Bashford and Miss Gray? I knew those names. I'd seen them up on our board of honour in the chapel, recording the names of those who didn't come back, those who died in the service of St. Mary's. It was before my time, but in the early days of St. Mary's, Bashford and Gray set out for 12th century Jerusalem and never came back. Search parties failed to find any trace of them, They were killed by Clive Ronan, a renegade historian from the future. Killed for their pod, number four. We got it back eventually, 
but Gray and Bashford were never found. Major Guthrie, of course, you know. Well, I did, obviously, and he hadn't changed that much over the last ten years, except that, at second glance, he had. I don't know how to put this, but sometimes you don't know how unhappy someone is until you see them before the unhappiness, before grief etches deep lines on their face and dulls the light in their eyes. He walked beside Miss Grey, looking down at her as she lifted her face to him, smiling. I never thought I'd say this, and certainly not about quiet, self-contained Ian Guthrie, but his very soul was in his eyes as he looked at her. A half-forgotten memory flashed into my head, a naked Professor Rapson yodelling to himself on the top shelves of the archive. Dr Foster draped all over Peterson, telling him how much she loved him, and Ian Guthrie slumped against a wall, staring at something only he could see and whispering, Elspeth.